So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. We're actually going to finish 1 John chapter 3 today. Uh, And because of it, uh, I'm going to be kind of doing some extemporaneous stuff a little bit because the verses 10 through 24 are generally just a summation of what John has been saying in regards to the evidences of regeneration, living in obedience to Christ, God's children versus children of the devil. And so we're just going to continue that out and finish 1 John chapter 3. And today we're going to be looking at, under the theme of evidences of regeneration, love, service, and obedience. Now, regeneration is the old-fashioned word that we typically these days called uh, that which, uh, being born again, being the new birth, if you will, regenerated, uh, brought to life spiritually. When Christ has come and, and, and awoken us to life in the Spirit, and he's, he, we've repented of our sin, and, and He's filled us with His Holy Spirit, sealed us into the day of redemption, we've been regenerated. And that process of regeneration is just that. It is a, a process. And so there's a lot we're going to get through today. I, I'd, I'd covet your prayers to get through this, because outlining it would have been a book, and, and so I know you guys don't want a book today, but uh, I just want to let the Lord lead in it. And if you don't mind, I would just like to pray a little and ask God to open his word to us. Father, when we approach what you've said, you've preserved what you've said in scripture. And, and Lord, your, your word tells us that your word is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It does reveal the thoughts and intents of the heart. But God, we need spiritual understanding. And we ask that you give that now. Anoint the preaching. Fill a very imperfect, imperfect vessel. And pour forth. Holy Spirit of God, pour forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, then. A simple outline of what we're going to be looking at today, and this will just let you kind of get it in your mind where we're going. Verses 10 through 15 deal with love. Love as it is given to us in Christ, and love as we as Christians give it to one another, okay? We're going to be dealing with service as Christians in this world, serving the Lord Jesus Christ from verses 16 through 23, and we're going to be looking at obedience, Because as Christians, (laughs) filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who have been regenerated, we have a desire to please our King and to to be obedient to His commands in verse 24. So, love, service, and obedience. But verses 10 through 15, it, it starts off that with which builds the rest of these passages and bring them into focus. In verse 10 it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So if you go back up and before this, we read that uh, whoever, in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin, but whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Uh... And then it says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then he comes down in verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, 
nor is he who does not love his brother. So now there's something that Paul has added to this evidence of regeneration, this evidence of truly being a born-again Christian, that you will love God's people. Okay, now look, we all have definitions of love that, that may, some are correct, some are incorrect, and, and, and typically I think there's a hybrid of both good and bad in our definitions of love, but when we think about God's people, there should be within us, not from us, but that which is in, put in us by Christ at the new birth, a love for others that are born again also. There is something very special about the family of God. Those who are of the church of Jesus Christ. Those who are, have been brought into him and into his body. We share in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how we come. So there should be this evidence of love for the brethren. That's, now that can be tested. And it can be tried. And again in Sunday school today... We were talking about if you, how many of you ever been through a church split and several of you raised your hands and how badly that hurts. And one of the reasons is because when, we, when a church splits, when a church decides to do its own thing regardless of the commands of God, regardless of the, of the confines of Scripture, they show their lack of love for the brethren. That their agenda is worth more than the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'm not referring to doctrinal standards here. And i got to say that in all the church splits that I've ever been around uh, and seen, been a part of, it's never, not as a pastor, by the way, but it's, it's never been over issues of doctrine. Ever. It's been on petty stuff, like the carpet. Or whether people should wear pants or dresses or just surfacey things that go on. Power families wanting to have preeminence. Church splits never happen over what I would call good reasons, generally speaking. Now, one good news is, I guess in our day and time, if there would ever be a time for a church to split over doctrinal truth, it would be today, because many churches are drifting away from doctrinal truth. As one brother said to me this morning, not even God knows what they're teaching. <laughs> knows. He didn't mean that like his God doesn't know, he knows all things, but he was saying that they're teaching things that aren't in keeping with even God's heart. So that would be a time, but... Look at the word John uses here when he's talking about as we reveal ourselves, manifest. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, revealed. How do you reveal to the world? And he gives a simple test. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That means whoever does not continually, habitually in your natural order of life, in your everyday, pursue the righteousness of God and being obedient to the Lord Jesus is not of God. This is about to get really deep, up to my eyeballs. But, and then he says, nor is he who does not love 
his brother. And so we're seeing love interjected here as a thing. Manifest is to be or become clearly revealed to the mind, the senses, or judgment. So it's, it's manifest, become painfully clear. You know, I've heard people say, it bec- I become painfully aware of the fact that I had a leaky faucet in my bathroom. You know, and because, you know, maybe your bill went up or whatever, or you have, you know, things damaged happen to your home. I become pain, I become, a, it was manifest that we had a leak in our floor whenever the floor buckled like a potato chip. You know, it became manifest that there was a highway patrol up there and that I was speeding whenever he pulled me over. I, I became painfully aware of it. So my actions revealed the fact that I was doing wrong. Thanksgiving's coming and some of you you know, the fact that the turkey is burning or might be manifest by the smoke that fills the kitchen. Okay, you get the idea. There's proof in it. You can tell. So, if you're in Jesus and you really walk with God and you know the Lord through relational uh, uh, regeneration, you've been born again, it's going to be revealed in your life. It's just going to come out. You cannot hide it. But also the same is going to say this, if you've not been born again and your, your profession does not match your confession, then it's going to show up too, see. But then here's the big one, love. What are you doing with that? It ties them together. We as God's people reveal the truth of Christ to a lost world by the way we love one another. Now, I want to just camp out here just for a second, and then we'll carry on through the rest of these. Is that uh, love is that which drove Jesus to the cross. He loved us to lay down his life for us. Okay? And then how much more should we love one another? Sometimes you may not like your Christian brother or sister, Maybe they do weird things, you know. Maybe they eat olives and like pickles. I don't. <laughs> but maybe you're different. We're all different, okay? But you have to love them. You have. It doesn't mean you're going to agree on all points either. Love isn't about perfect, symmetrical, you know. That, but you will have a commonality of the cross that make you love one another. There's a concern for one another. Even when I went through a low point and I was so burnt out with ministry and had been hurt by church, still had a love for the brethren. And I respected the brethren. I just was a little raw from the church politics stuff. But I never stopped loving God's people. That is the sacred ground that you just better watch out for. If you ever meet someone that said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just, I hate, I hate the church, man. Then, not so fast. That's bogus talk. It's not real. So, we as God's people reveal the tr- truth of Christ to a lost world by the way we love one another. And, and then, of course, John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, how do we show we love one another? Well, calling each other, checking on each other, you know, uh, praying for one another is a big one, uh, visiting one another, 
staying in touch with another. Travis got up here a while ago and talked about, you know, endeavoring to be a church family outside of our normal gathering times, to be involved in each other's lives in spite of the chaos and busyness of it all. And not only just our, our body here, but also elsewhere when we have opportunity to connect with other Christians across the world. Um, it's a wonderful thing. One of the favorite things about going overseas to do mission work is when you meet Christians from completely different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds, you know, and how they do things. But the, the, the overwhelming thing that always gets me is that when we come together for worship and preaching, we are the body of Christ. And so we may, you know, they may do things differently as far as their culture is concerned. But man, when, when Jesus comes into the mix, we're one. And it's very clear and it's, it's, an, it's a refreshing thing. So as John continues his thought then and with that understanding in mind, let's look at verse 11. <clears throat> For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And then he uses an example that I think is striking there in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. So, John is saying, that's not love, when you want to murder your brother. Now, didn't Jesus say something about, if you hate your brother, it's the same as committing murder in your heart? It does. So, do you have an issue with hating your brother or sister in the Lord? Have you thought about, on this, this journey to revival... You know, God in the Levitical code offers a very precise way in which, he is to be, in which he is to be approached by the priests and by the people. They are to come in very precise ways, but chiefly those ways all protect holiness. They require holiness, set-apartness. They, 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 they rely on purity so you have to have sacrifice and blood to come but you cannot so i think about the high priest as he's getting ready to go in for the day of atonement and and do that he has to really clean his house and i mean his heart and everything everything nothing can be undone you know an interesting note that uh the priest had to wear linen trousers if you remember when i was talking about the sh- uh the the prayer shawl here then and the colors he had to wear linen trousers because uh, linen is very cool, wicking material. They were not allowed to sweat as they went up the steps to approach God, lest they die. How about that? So God was very precise in the Old Testament way of doing things in his approach. It's still precise in Jesus providing that perfect blood covering for us. But when we come to Christ, or we come to God through Christ, and when we, when we live out our faith, we don't do so presumptuously and get incinerated with fire like Aaron's sons. We come carefully, respectfully, respecting the, Lord bod- the Lord's body. So if you go back to what John is talking about here, you'll love your brother, not as Cain, who was the wicked one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him in verse 12? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. If you have hatred towards a brother or sister in Christ, I don't care how long ago the event happened. Did you know, according to Scripture, 
Matthew 18, that you're held there even to this day. How are you supposed to bring your gift to the altar? Jesus said, leave it there and go be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. Does that sound precise to you? It is precise. Do you love them? I hate their guts. They took me for some money. It's money. They're printing all kinds of it today. Okay? It's just pretty common stuff, right? Mailbox money for everybody. John is saying, we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. He got to envying him, didn't he? And then he knocked him in the head with a rock. Because Abel's works were righteous, done in right motives. They were done precisely the way God required them to be. And Cain didn't. And God even warned him. Sin crouches at the door and its desire is for you, but you should overcome it. Do not marvel, verse 13, my brethren, if the world hates you. So now John is shifting gears a little bit here. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. What? You mean there's a connection between the authenticity of my salvation and my love for the brethren? Yes, there is. Oh, there's so many false apostles and false preachers and false teachers and and false missionaries and when you look at them on tv or they're in a magazine or a book and they got they look like the world they smell like the world they sound like the world they they preach like the world that's because they're of the world they don't have a love for the kingdom of god and his people they have a love for themselves whose god is their belly that's what the bible talks about them like There's no display of humility or genuine care for the lost. They just love their little kingdoms. And John is saying here that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He does not love his brother abides in death. So how how important is it to the heart of, of this aged apostle John that we love one another? And in keeping with the Lord's command in John 13, 35, right? That we love one another. It's one of the proofs. If you can turn your back on God's people, you don't know Him. I'm just going to say it. Now, I'm not talking about those of you who in a flash get angry for a season, a very short one, and you step away and God deals with you and chastens you, corrects you, loves you back and you come back into fellowship but if you if you can say i just i i try i i don't want anything to do with god's people and that's just how it is and and that's your life and that's really what you think you don't know him because that kind of love is a supernatural gift given by god into your soul the day you were regenerated it's not of you it's of him he can't deny his own heart Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Well, there it is again. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Part of this was because there were Gnostic teachers that were coming out of the church that John was warning the church about. Remember, they were, they were of you, but they were not part of you, or so they came out from you, and they teach these fallacious doctrines, and they're trying to make it out so that, you know, your body can, is bad and sinful, and you can do all kinds of sin and still be right with God, and, and that's all a lie, and really, they just hate you because they love themselves. So I, I think it begs the question then, and especially as it relates to as we pray and seek God for heaven-sent revival and awakening on a very self-destructing land and culture, God's people must get themselves realigned with God. And is there anybody here? He's like, I hate it when you ask these pointed questions like that. Do you, any one of you, have unresolved hatred, bitterness, and conflict with any brother or sister in Christ, I don't care how long it goes back, that's unresolved, you've never tried to make it right, have you done anything about it? What you doing with that gift that's supposed to be here? There is no statute of limitations on that. Do you understand? There isn't one single statute of limitations on sin. You may forget, God doesn't forget. And when he calls us to holiness, and in this particular passage, he's calling us to the issue of loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord, is there something unresolved? It's literally not there. The ice cream truck is coming. Okay? Next. So we've talked about love, right? Now let's talk about service. Service. Okay. Next pericope, verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we do that? We serve them. How do we serve them? Well, sometimes they have sick kids, they need to go to the doctor, they may need to call you to come over and help them watch their little ones or something. Sometimes maybe they're sick and they need something to eat for a while because they just can't do it. Maybe they're just in a real big bind and they just need help. And you can lift the other end, right? Who knows? Maybe, maybe they just would like some conversation. Maybe it's just checking on them. You know, one of the things that I, that, I, that I really wish we did better, and maybe we do and I'm unaware of it. We have a, a, a church app for the membership of the church. And really, everyone's in there, even if you're not a member of the church, if you want to be in there. But you can have it on your, your phone, unless you have a dumb phone that like still flips open. But, you know, if you have a smartphone, you have this app, okay? And you can hit that app, and then suddenly you have the database of everybody that's in the church there. So you could actually make it a practice to pull it up and text, because it allows you a text function. Just hold it down, and you can text, you know, hey, hey, Lorraine and Blaine, just want to say, thinking of you guys, hope you guys are having a good week. That's it. Man, that's easy, you know? Or, you know, Oh, Oscar. Hey, Oscar, how's it going? Fine. <laughs> anyway, you get the idea. You can use that to stay connected with one another. But we serve each other. That's what we're called to do. Verse 12, or I'm sorry, I put my glasses on. Verse 17. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, 
How does the love of God abide in him? So John is saying, if, if you know you have a brother or sister that is destitute, they don't have something, they need something, and you have it, and you don't give it to them knowing that you have it, what's wrong with you is what he's saying. He's saying, what is wrong with you? Are you loving them? And the answer is, no, you're not. You're not loving them. My little children, verse 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And you know what that is? It's that whole, oh yes, if you need anything, just holler. Don't holler, really. I don't want to, you know, don't, don't holler today anyway, you know. We all, and, and, and everybody here is guilty of saying maybe stuff we don't really mean, because if we got called on it, we would be busy a lot more, Right? We, 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 we all do that. One of the worst places that shows up is in the area of prayer. Well, I'll pray for you. You better do that. Because if you don't, you just lied. You didn't. You didn't intend to. It's sort of saying all is well or it's some placation. Well, you're struggling and I really need to go to work and you just keep going. So I'll pray for you. That's a good way to shut the conversation down. One of the pastoral tricks... Uh, that I learned long ago when I was not a pastor is I always noticed that when I was talking to my pastor and he was ready to go, he said, well, let me pray with you before you go. I didn't know I was done. <laughs> let me pray with you before you go. Um, but when we offer to pray for one another, we should pray for one another. One of the things I like about, uh, I, I like many things about all of you, but Brian, I'm thinking of Brian you know, if, uh, if you ask that man to pray for you about something, he's going to do it then. Because he's getting old, and, he f- <laughs> and he's, he's forgetting stuff. Comes out through that thin patch of hair on the back of his head. It just kind of goes like a vapor, and it's gone. But <laughs> there you go. I told you I'd get you back. But if we say we're going to pray for one another, we ought to make a habit of doing that. We ought to do it then. Now, I'm not saying don't be, don't be uh, you know, uh, disrespectful or, or irresponsible with that. If you're waiting at line at the gas pump with somebody and there's a whole line behind you, move first, maybe, <laughs> then do that. Be courteous in all of it. But John is saying to us, this is how we love, in deed and in truth. And by, verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Now he's moving into something else that many of you struggle with. And that's the issue of assurance before God. Am I truly born again? Am I a born again Christian? Do I, do I know Jesus? And if you go back on the front end of this. All of 1 John. Especially chapter 3. And you find yourself drawn to the things of God. And you find yourself loving the brethren. And you find yourself wanting to serve them. And pray for them. And minister to them and you can't get your heart away from thoughts of God, then you can assure yourself that your hearts are before Him. But notice verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So what's he saying here? If you think about the things of God, you think about your walk with Christ, and you have serious doubts and troubles because there's no evidence. God is greater than your heart. You won't trick yourself. He'll let you know if you're lost because He doesn't mess around. He just doesn't. He, He will speak to you and say, you are pretending to be a Christian and you know it. 
you are guilty? I read some stuff last night from Bruce Ware. It was on a YouTube video. And uh, this man had wrote in and he said that for 20 years, he was faithful to his church and service and ministry. All as an unbeliever for 20 years. Now, that's not the first case I've ever heard of that. I knew of another man in Oklahoma I shared years ago who was an old dairyman, chairman of the deacons, years and years and years. First usher, you would always see at the church, years and years and years. Lost man. God showed him the error of his ways. He became a Christian at 80-something years old. And insisted on being baptized again before the very church he had served. So he could say to them, I was a fake. And I knew it the whole time, but I knew how to convince you. Powerful stuff. But God is good because He's greater than our heart. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We have confidence toward God. Look, it's really clear. God deals with us in very real truth. He will let you know exactly where you are. The devil deals in fog. You ever notice? That in things of life, as a Christian, sometimes we pray them through, we're not quite sure what to do, we get bogged down in the minutia. Fogginess, doubts generally that are foggy, have the mark of the evil one on them. But God, when he speaks, it's very clear, very precise, you know what to do. Always remember that and underline 20 and 21 in your Bible. And whatever we ask, in verse 22, it says we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now we're moving into obedience. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment. Now notice this, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He gave us commandments. The very first place it's going to show up That you're being obedient to Christ if you love one another. That you love the Lord's church. There's a new group, uh, and they have many names, I think, um, growing today among statisticians. Is that the group called the nuns. They, They do not have any faith. They have nothing. But then behind them, there's another group called spiritual they claim to have a walk with God. They love God. They believe in God. They even prof- many of them profess to be Christians, though you don't have to be a Christian to be spiritual. And uh, they don't need the church, though. They've stepped away. They're unchurched. They don't want the church at all. So they're, they're redefining the rule of being one of God's people. And it's all because, if you look at it, all the commands of Jesus, they cherry-pick what they think is acceptable and what is not. If you begin to watch people and really listen to them, you'll know where they are. If you just look at... Oh, King James talks about our conversation of life. That doesn't mean that we're talking all the time. It means how we live, right? Now, if you watch me long enough, you're going to see some things. Number one, you're going to see that uh, I'm pretty forgetful. Number two, you're going to see that uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rather, I, I can be emotional. I feel, str- I feel strongly about things either way, going or coming, okay? Um, 
And uh, I, 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 can, I can get depressed. I can get anxious. All of those things that happen to me. And so uh, I wrestle with my flesh constantly. That's what you'll see as an inner conflict. Just constantly trying to smash myself with a big old sledgehammer. You know. And, and that's what you'll see. But I, I hope you will see a striving. In spite of it all. <laughs> towards the Lord. A striving to love Him more. A striving to know Him more. A striving to put down sin. I hope you would, and I hope we would see that in each other. And that's what John is, is saying. This is our conversation. That you will see us moving towards Jesus. As we'll see here in a minute uh, by some verses. That should be, our obedience to Christ should be the outplay and proof that we are in Him. And of Him. Verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. And we learned abides means to stay, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Now notice what it says, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Christian life, if it's generally, if you've generally been born again and you generally know, genuinely know Jesus, right? Then you're going to have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you compelling you forward. It may not be a smooth compelling forward. You may, you know, your tires on your car may be square. But you're going to go forward because forward is the natural direction of growth and something that is alive. Doesn't mean you won't get bogged down sometimes. But you're going to continue to go forward. You will, as you age and grow each day in Christ, what may seem like this to you is really this. You will have altitude because you are not your own. You've been bought with a price and that which, of, which is in you is of the Holy Spirit and, and you are born of God and, and the proof of it is that he is bringing you to a completed end in this thing we call sanctification. So that's going to be for you. That doesn't mean you won't struggle, doesn't mean you won't have pitfalls, doesn't mean you won't have bad months or years. It just means that God is going to continually take you up and that's the greatest evidence of being born again that I think that I can think of is a is a persistent pursuit if I can or pursuit towards Christ. I don't I can't think of a greater one. So I want to look at a couple scriptures. Genuine saving faith then is persevering faith. Genuine saving faith is persevering faith. Because when you think about love, and you think about service, and you think about obedience, you're talking about persevering faith. Genuine, born-again, saving faith perseveres. It goes forward. It always does. Now look at Colossians 1, 21 and 23. Through 23. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Notice what he says though. If indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So many times we have this idea that And I mean, it's true, but we have to be careful. People will say, 
Many people who are lost say, I prayed that prayer or I became a Christian when I was 10 or 5 or 22 and now they're 82 or whatever. And they, they had that moment back then, but they have nothing with which to fill it in to now. You see? So in that case, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Right? Because according to this verse, you should continue in the faith. You're alive. Look, I got my little brand new grandson and there's other, children, other young ones in the congregation and they're just starting out. And it's normal for him to get bigger and grow. He will continue to do that because he's alive, right? If you're in Christ, you're going to continue to grow. Now, everyone grows differently. Some are, some are faster, some are slower, but we all grow and we develop and we mature. That's, that's the natural order of a healthy life. And it's no different in the Christian life. But if you can't say that if nothing's changed. If, if you meet Royce 20 years from now and he still looks like that, there's something dreadfully wrong. If indeed you continue in the faith. And why is that? Because genuine saving faith is a persevering faith. Doesn't mean you have to get saved again and again either. It means that if, you're, if, if the regeneration that occurs in your life is real and of God, you're going to go towards Jesus every day of your life. That's what's going to happen. Another scripture though. Titus 1, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. So remember, we talked about back when I was, and, and I did that and accepted the Lord back then. I've done that. But in works, they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Why is this true? Because genuine saving faith is persevering faith. Evidences of regeneration is a forward progression towards the things of God. It doesn't mean, again, that you won't have a bad segment of your life. But it will be short-lived. If, it's, if, if you're in Christ, He will not let you go. There's a boundary line. He will let you go. And then He will shut you down. But if that doesn't happen, if you, as you, if you adapt to that sinful lifestyle, if you adapt, there's great concern. Very great concern. Your, your logic begins to go. Your reasoning begins to go. All kinds of things begin to go. And you're, you're, you're able to wordsmith it to make it seem like you're doing right. But the works themselves deny the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Let us not forget in closing. One of the greatest evidences of regeneration is conviction of sin. Isn't it? Oh man, I know that one really well. I've, I've had, I won't say who, but I'll have two of you today. Y'all are so cute. Um, and I mean that. 
you, you told me something. It was, it was, and you didn't tell me, I guess, what you felt was the honest truth of it. Two of you today. And then you had to come back and say, I lied. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And I want to say, I mean, it, to me it wasn't a big deal because, you know, we're not talking about, you know, uh, any kind of, but to you it was, and the Holy Spirit convicted you, and you come and told me. Well, I just want to say to you, praise God for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Because what if, okay, such small things as they were, right? What if you were able to do that and be like, eh? Well, there's two things. Number one, you're quenching the Spirit as He's convicting you. And that's not good. Or B, you don't have Him convicting you at all. Is there such a thing as big sin and little sin in the economy of God? No, it's just sin. It's just sin. So, one of the ways you know that you're drifting away from the things of God is when you become desensitized to the Spirit and what used to convict you now does not. Does not. That's, that's when you know you're beginning to get, maybe you're starting to drift some, right? Funny story, years ago, uh, when the Lord really began to crank on me, I was a Christian, and I went through, I was not discipled, but He began to, because God is faithful to call us to Himself, closer, right? And so, uh, uh, I, was, I, was, I was going to college and then, because uh, Randy was there and that's where I wanted to be. And so, and then of course I had to go on back to the farm and it was about an hour drive, wasn't it? About an hour drive. And uh, the Lord had been animating my soul with his word. It was literally like it just came on like a light bulb. It just was. The whole room got brighter. It was an incredible time when the Lord just, boom, it just exploded with understanding. And uh, he began to convict me on the music I was listening to. And I wasn't even listening to the bad stuff. Okay? And uh, so I would drive home, and I had a CD player, because back in those days, you know, you used to fix up your stereo system and things. Yeah, back in the 90s with kickers and big subwoofers, and now I can't hear low tones. But anyway, uh, and so I'm driving along, and I decide to put in a certain CD, and uh, I won't say who, because then you'll get nostalgic and miss the point. But... Uh, and, and, and he convicted my heart so badly that I ejected them all as it was a 10-disc Pioneer CD changer with the little keypad up on the, you know, that was fancy. But I took those discs, and as I was driving, I just went right out the window, right out the window. Never occurred to me about littering, okay? But the point is, I don't throw stuff out the window now, not because of what they say, but because of what the academic responsibility is but uh i i i was convicted of the sin of it I, I didn't need it in my truck at all so i just dumped them all out going about 10 miles <laughs> okay and uh and then you know there became an awareness more of how to please the lord and fully loving others there was growth happening right you would talk about the little kids and and we don't see them for a summer when they come back and they look all gangly and like a lab puppy that gets big they're all legs for a while you know and the kids were like well they hit a growth spurt and they're like hey how are you and you know and 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 they're growing and we think that's good they're growing they're kind of awkward right now but they're all legs and arms but they're growing you know 
And, and that's how it should be when we're in Christ. But if that's not happening, or if it's not happening like it was, you need to look inside. The evidences of regeneration, first, first off, and then secondly, does your life, have you allowed, Kim, you did say the tyranny of the urgent. You really did. You sent me an article on <laughs> the tyranny of the urgent. Have you allowed the tyranny of the urgent to dictate your obedience to spending time with God? You say, I just don't have the time. Well, if you're not eating right, you're not growing right. If you're not growing right, you're not praying right either. It's just kind of like that. You know, you, you've developed a taste for junk food. God wants to get you back in right. So when we, when we, when we finish up this chapter 3 of John, he's letting us know who's real and who isn't. So what about you? First, do you really know Jesus? Are you saved? And I would say, how do you know that? Is there proof of life? And then I would say, if you're not growing like you ought to be, what's happened that would prevent that? Are there, is there some unresolved conflict or hatred of the brethren that you've literally thought that God forgot about? Whatever it is, you need to take another look at what you're going to do with that. Wes, you want to come up and play? We're going to have a time of response what to do with this message? Well, it's simple questions. It's just simple answers. Yes, I'm walking obedience. No, I've got these issues that I've just held on to. I don't want anything standing between me and God anymore. I want to clear it up. I want a clean slate. I want it done. And some of you may even need to call a spade a spade and say, you know, I've got all the Christianity in my head, but none of it in my heart. Have you ever made a, a true profession of faith in Christ and said, I, I am, to this day, I, I, I am receiving the Lord. God saved my soul. As Weston sings, whatever the need of your heart is, the altar is open, you come. <laughs>